My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me gently at Jim Kramer. If you want to know why the market's so darn confusing and overwhelming, next week is the perfect example. We've got a gigantic number of companies reporting earnings all at once. I think it's a major reason why so many experts default to those big picture macro numbers, because following all these individual companies, Frankly, it's just too darn exhausting. But you still have to do the work. You simply cannot buy a stock before you go through the process I'm about to show you. And what is the process? You got to read the earnings release, you got to listen to the conference call, then you look over the reviews from the analysts, and you got to, because they know it best of all, and only after that can you pull the trigger. That's true every day, including this one. Where the Dow gained 22 points, that's to be advanced 0.09%, NASDAQ declined 0.11%. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, okay, let's start with Monday. In the morning, Coca-Cola reports, okay? Going into the quarter, you need to know what Wall Street's expecting. Then you see that news release from Coca-Cola. You listen to their conference call. You go over all the anecdotes in this very well-covered company. If you can't do these things, or we don't own the stock for the Travel Trust where we do this stuff for you, you probably shouldn't be picking individual stocks at all. Without the homework, you really are much better off parking your money in something we think is very good around here, an index fund. Now, after the close of the year from First Republic, it's widely considered the most endangered regional bank out there, although it seems to have stabilized at very low levels. We also hear from two deep cyclicals that are just interesting to be able to get a read on certain parts of the economy. Cleveland Cliffs, the steel maker, great read on the auto industry because they provide a lot of the steel to the auto industry, and Whirlpool, which always gives you a great read on housing. The next three days, they are positively insane. Tuesday starts with 3M. Now, we've come to expect disappointment from these guys, frankly. I bet this quarter's no different given the horrendous litigation risk. Everything from groundwater contamination to allegedly faulty earplugs for the military going wrong here. McDonald's reports, too. I think this will be the quarter that takes the stock above $300. Perfect time for the Golden Arches to announce a three-for-one split. I don't think they're going to do it, but I sure would like one. Next up, General Electric's been one of the best stocks in the SP 500 this year. Can you believe that? I believe CEO Larry Culp will deliver another magnificent quarter. A pleasure. Where he outlines how the final spinoff in GE, the uh, energy section, is actually breaking off. But I don't want to bury the lead because GE is all about aerospace, which is en fuego. I'd rather own this one than Boeing, which reports Wednesday. And then there's General Motors. Will they react to all the price cuts from Tesla? Will they reveal more city center for autonomous driving? Will they step up their EV schedule? I think this stock needs a breakout quarter right now. Hey, we know housing's been on fire, right? Despite the Fed's attempts to blast inflation. I bet Pulte Homes will be very good but probably not as good as Lennar or D.R. Horton because it is too much California exposure. And we have had a lot of Silicon Valley layoffs. I expect many more. We've got something very revealing coming from Raytheon, as the company's top executives have basically been blacklisted by China because of their defense work. Is Raytheon's commercial aerospace division, which is the crown jewel, is their division threatened by this? China's a gigantic market for them. I got to know. I've been trying to find this out. Oh, and let's not forget, Jeff Marks, 
and I host the CNBC Investing Club monthly meeting on Tuesday where we run down all of your stocks and answer your questions about them. Hey, how about some winners? After the close, Chipotle and Microsoft report. I think both will cause analysts to raise numbers. The genesis of all big rallies. I've been adamant that Chipotle's headed to $2,000. And I think Microsoft, which we own for the Chapel Trust, can talk about the revitalized search engine now that they're partnered with OpenAI. How bullish is that? Alphabet reports at the same time. Same exact time. And these, te- these companies have become sworn enemies. We'll find out how much heat they're doing from Microsoft and AI. Maybe they'll finally announce some layoffs that are large enough to actually move the needle. That has not occurred yet from that company. Wednesday morning, we find out what's going wrong at Boeing this week. The only people left in this stock are the ones who don't do the homework. This is the gang that could not shoot straight. That said, the bar is so low that I bet the stock can go higher if nothing bad happens between now and the conference call. Next, I think the most exciting stock will be Meta Platforms, because I believe that both Reels and their TikTok killer, that's their TikTok killer, and Instagram have re-accelerated. Maybe Instagram as much as 300 basis points. Mark Chainsaw Zuckerberg, I say that affectionately, will chop more dead wood. I'd like to hear him close the New York office, even if he has to shell out $100 million to get out of these expensive leases. I like that stock. It's big for the trust. I would double down if I didn't own so much already. Thursday, we hear from Caterpillar. The last time Cat reported, they told a good story, but nobody seemed to care. We bought some for the Investment Club that day, like right around that period, because we couldn't believe it. The stock didn't move. And we're looking to buy more on weakness, because we believe Cat's the best way to play all the infrastructure money that will be flooding the country next year. I always hope for a deep pullback so you can get a better entry point. Do not be concerned about the near term and focus on the Chips Act and the IRA money that will be showered upon them. Bye, bye, bye. We'll also hear, uh, find out if Darius Adamczyk, he's the CEO of Honeywell, is going to go out with a bang. This should be this swan song. He's got a new CEO coming in. But I'm not looking for much because Honeywell won't be making any big decisions until the successor takes over. That said, the, the, the guy's being dealt a great hand by Darius. I like the stock very much. Next up, well, this big one, Eli Lilly. Will they talk about the Alzheimer's drug? They just completed a clinical trial. Will give us a more. Will they give us a more refined roadmap about when Mujaro, their diabetes drug slash weight loss pill, uh, uh, vaccine? Well, let's say needle, will get FDA approval. There's a lot on the line for this club name, and it, it's been among the hottest stocks in the market. I think that there could be a better entry point. The stock's really been on the run. If you want to know which stock I think will have the biggest upside surprise next week, it's going to be, believe it or not, the very boring Hershey. You got it here? Hershey's delivered a stream of great numbers, yet somehow the analysts keep low-balling them, and then the company beats those numbers. After the close, we get perhaps the most important company to report next week, and that is Amazon. I expect to hear about the slowing of Amazon Web Services, maybe down as low below 15%. Used to be at 35. And hopefully they'll tell us about some aggressive new layoffs. Time for Amazon to clean house. Again, the stock's 3% gain today may per- be a prelude to something very positive that they announced next week. Friday's all day as we get results from both Chevron and Exxon. In this battle of titans between two former standard oil divisions, Exxon's been winning lately. Chevron CEO Mike Worth is a competitive guy, but Exxon's really become very aggressive, and it's working. My money is on Exxon again. Now, will Colgate, will Colgate feel the heat of the extraordinary quarter that, that club name Procter & Gamble reported this morning? I don't think so. 
It'll take a well-financed activist campaign to wake this company up. Curiously, though, it's becoming evident that if Colgate doesn't deliver a good quarter, you might very well get an activist to push up the uh, push out maybe a big shakeup, maybe do something with a pet business, which used to be the best, and now I regard as it also ran. Hey, by the way, we also get an important government number, the personal consumption expenditures deflator. That's a mouthful, which the Fed seems to see as the best way to measure inflation. If it's too hot, it might not matter what any of these companies have to report. So keep your powder dry for lower prices midday. Bottom line, next week and the week after are the only periods where we can expect a wholesale reshuffling of the guard. That's right. Eight weeks a year, just a madhouse. You have your game plan, and I think you know the drill. So do the homework or let someone else help you but never, ever fly blind into earnings season. Let's go to Jimmy in Florida. Jimmy. Jim, booyah from Florida, and thanks for taking my call, my friend. Of course, man. Good to hear from you. What's going on? Hey, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for all of your help, your recommendations, and your expertise over the years. Oh, thanks, Jimmy. Thank you. Uh, We sure sure are trying. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. I've recently taken a position in Pioneer, ticker symbol PXD. Sure. And, Jim, I'm just wondering, should I buy more, hold, or sell Pioneer? Buy more PXD. They report next week. I think it's going to be a good quarter. Uh, Scott Sheffield is a total winner. I think the stock's worth north of 300. PXD is for me. Let's go to Nick in Pennsylvania. Nick. Hi, Jim. How you doing? Thank you for taking my call. Of course, Nick. What's happening? I'd like to get your opinion on Ferrari. I've owned it for a while and recently had a nice run-up. This stock... You know, when it came public, I was skeptical. That was wrong. This company is unbelievable, and it's got a very high price earnings buildable, but it's the best there is, and I'm going to tell you to stay in it. If it comes back down below 250, I think you can pull the trigger for more. Timothy in Florida. Timothy. Hey there, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Booyah from Ocala, Florida. Oh, man, I've been to Ocala uh, many times. What's up? Yeah, man, I was calling for uh, Motorola Solutions MSI. I I have missed Motorola uh, Solutions. I am angry at myself. I'm angry at myself. Motorola Solutions has been a constant winner. I don't know why I've avoided it. I have to ask them to come on because, wow, I just feel like I've left the last 100 points and I've not been able to help people with it. you got a real good one there, and it's, I think it's going higher. James in Tennessee. James. Yes. James. Jim Kramer. Yeah, Jim Kramer. Big, big fan of your show. Thank you. Calling about, calling about AMC. I, I've been having it for a minute. Ever since before the pandemic. Right. And it's been up well, and down, but I'm still trying to keep it. What do you okay, think? Okay, now the balance sheet's not that good. Adam Aaron's done a great job saving the company, but that doesn't necessarily make the stock a great buy. I think you ought to be thinking about owning, if you want entertainment, the stock of Disney. They don't report till May 10th, but I do expect them. I think Bob Iger should do some great things there. It's a, set, it's a third quarter story, not a second quarter story, though. But I'd rather see in DIS. Next week marks the beginning of the earnings onslaught, where my wife hates me because I refuse to see her. But, you know, I have priorities. Came out wrong. I want you to make sure you do your homework. On Man Money, tonight, from RSV vaccine to the state of COVID-19, I've got... I got a lot to discuss with the CEO of Moderna, and you don't want to miss it. Then we're wrapping up our series on 2021 IPO winners by taking a close look at the healthcare stocks that trounce the others, plus some miscellaneous, some would say cats and dogs, IPOs that pique our interest. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. 
Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Past year and a half, sadly, has been brutal for every company that's made a fortune during the pandemic, especially Moderna, one of our favorites, which went from a small-time biotech, basically a big pharma outfit, thanks to the strength of its COVID vaccine. With COVID perhaps in the rearview mirror, what's next for Moderna's revolutionary mRNA technology? They're working on all sorts of other vaccines, individualized cancer treatments, but we really need a closer look here, and I think the company's been misinterpretively. So let's check in with Stefan Bensel. Uh, now, he is the CEO of Moderna. we got to get a better sense of what's happening. Mr. Bensel, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so first, I'm going to tell you something that I think you're not a stock guy, I am. But do you know that the day that you announced your initial success was the exact bottom in the stock market. I don't necessarily want to say it was because of you, but the fact is you saved the world and I don't think you get any credit for it. Well, a lot of people worked really hard to do the right thing to help people. That's what we do. We use this technology to help people. Now, people seem to think that, I don't want to use the term one trick pony because that'd be too harsh, but everything you seem to do after this seems to be looked through the prism of the most incredible successful vaccine in history. But if we break it down, you are doing some things against illnesses where I think that it's come competitive. Uh, let's start with RSV. I mean, we met with Emil, Dame Emma Walmsley two weeks ago from GSK, and she said she's got something for RSV, but you have too. So now you're in a situation where you've got a competitive uh, uh, let's say it's not even a duopoly, it's a triopoly. Where are we with RSV and what are you've got that's different from others? Sure. So on RSV, we have really strong phase three data. We say we will file to the FDA in the first half of this year. So if you run the clock, we should have an approval toward the end of the year or early 2024 to be able to ready to launch in 24. That will really add to the pipeline. We also are you know, working on the flu product that should also launch in 24. And so what we're trying to do is to use this platform. I think what most people don't appreciate is Moderna is a platform company. Right. Because mRNA is an information molecule. For all the products you mentioned and many more, we use exactly the same chemicals. If you think about pharma, for 150 years, the industry has done amazing things. But it's an analog industry right. where every drug is different. Right. Where most feel most drugs fail in clinical trial. But if you look at Moderna, the COVID-19 vaccine, pretty good. Right. RSV data, pretty good. I'm sure we'll talk about cancer. The data looks amazing. And so I think that's a piece that people are not always understanding. It's a platform. You're absolutely right. And I think that one of the things that people feel is, is that if you have to reinvent the wheel every single time, you'll run out of money even with all the money you have. The fact is, is that even if you didn't have the most perfect um, flu vaccine data, I always view you as a safe cracker. So maybe you were at 16, if it goes to 17, it opens, and it can without costing billions of dollars. Is that a correct way to look at your company? Exactly. On flu, we had you know, good data on the A strain. The B strain was not so great, but right. the team tweaked it, as you say, and we're doing a very short study, it should be around six month study, to get the data to be able to file uh, and get ready for the fall of 24. Well, that's, uh, we all want it by then. Uh, you also, I think, have been somewhat 
uh, because of your success, Tablet, well, you know what? They've got a cancer vaccine. I look at it as like you have an individualized neoantigen therapy for if some, if you have cancer, there is great hope that you, you can be treated in a more successful way with what you've got. That's correct. What we're trying to do is to individualize the treatment to every human being. Because what we know today, scientifically, is that cancer is a disease of DNA. And so if we can teach your immune system to find the mutation, the neoantigen, that is specific to your tumor and make a product just for you, the response will be greater. We've shown that just before Christmas. Last week at the big cancer conference, AACR, we confirmed that the 18-month data is even better than the 12-month data we announced at the end of the year. So I think time will be on our side. As you look at the curves, they will differentiate more and more. Now, uh, you do have a great partnership with Merck and Keytruda. Um, so I imagine that would you be some sort of individualized, excuse the term, cocktail together? Correct. The idea is how do we improve on the response of Keytruda? Right. Okay. As you say, Keytruda is a great drug. Yeah. But it doesn't work for everybody. True. And so what we're trying to do is to combine Keytruda, a great drug, with an individualized therapy just for you to get a better outcome. And what we've shown is a 44% reduction of recurrence of cancer or deaths compared to Ketidra alone. So as Rob Davis told me from CEO of Merck, when I was talking about various cancers, he said, Jim, what we're trying to do is make it so that it is a maintenance illness, that it's not a death sentence. You are part of that maintenance business. I'm calling it business because it is. I mean, you, it's renewal. It's not one and done like COVID. No, exactly. And so the way we think about it is we think we're going to change cancer care in exactly the way Rob described it, which is we're going to get to a world where for better diagnostic, earlier diagnostic, including potential liquid biopsy and the type of technology we're providing, being able to make sure that people do not die of cancer. So are we going to be able to treat every cancer and everybody? Not necessarily. But I think we want to bring a new way to live with cancer. Okay, now, talking about an illness that people think is not important or not even fatal that you need to learn to live with and, if possible, cure, Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. Now, Lyme is an illness in the Northeast. We know it as being something that, oh, oh well, it's, it's, it, it could be bad for you. It's, oh, I have someone who had their heart damaged by Lyme disease. Now, where are we in terms of Lyme disease? Yeah, so there's no vaccine on the market today. What we did last week at our annual vaccine day, we announced a Lyme disease vaccine. It's important not only for the patients to be able to protect them, but if you think about it, it's a new frontier for Moderna. In the past, we've used vaccine to do viruses, mm -hmm. the respiratory virus like COVID and RSV and flu, the latent virus, those that come in your body right. and never leave your body, and many of them drive cancer. But what we announced last week with a Lyme vaccine is basically a new frontier to go after bacteria. And that's still on the same platform. It works on that even though it's bacteria. Same platform, same chemistry for the mRNA message, same lipid around it, same equipment in the factory. Wow. The leverage is incredible. So with that in mind, I would think that you have a storage of intellectual property that is unrivaled by almost any company that's in the pharmaceutical business. In the mRNA space, clearly, given the investments we have made and the increase of investment, if you look at just this year, we are going to invest $4.5 billion in R&D, just mRNA, just mRNA. There's nobody on the planet who invests that type of capital. And so, yes, we're accumulating a very strong patent estate. We're even working on gene editing using mRNA to use the mRNA technology to code for enzyme to go and edit DNA. 
That's another piece where we're investing a lot and generating a lot of IP. Right, I'm gonna, I met you in 2018. You told me that you had things in mind that would be great. Candidly, I was I questioned you, and then sure enough, COVID comes along, and you made me uh, look like, well, I was too skeptical about you, and you're, you, it was a miracle. Now I want to ask you, I'm going to put you, on, put you uh, to the test here. Could you ever cure the common cold? So I think it's possible because you can combine a lot of mRNA right. into a single dose. So the question is, can you combine enough of all the cold types that circulate into a single one? We are taking the challenge. You are gonna, you're up to it. Yes. Well, if you're up to it, I know you're going to do it. Stefan Bachel is the, he's the CEO of Moderna. Stefan, thank you very much for everything you've done. Thank okay, you thank, you. thank you. This guy's a real deal. <laughs> he's back after the break. Coming up. It's an IPO Friday on Mad Money. Healthcare stocks are next in our series when we return. week, we've been running a series on the best performing stocks from the IPO class of 2021. The 49 names out of nearly 400 that are actually up since they came public. Like I told you at the time, most of the IPOs from 2021 were garbage. With investment bankers churning out tons of low-quality merchandise to take advantage of a red-hot market and a credulous public, meaning you. But as we saw with Prometheus Biosciences earlier this week, that tremendous 75% takeover premium from Merck, there were some genuine winners that somehow slipped through. And it's worth trying to identify them now that the worst of the worst have already been exposed. We've been covering the class of 2021 sector by sector, starting with the consumer place, and then tech, then the industrials. And tonight, I'm going to highlight maybe the most exciting area, healthcare names. And then after the break, I'm going to go over the winners from every other group, kind of miscellaneous. When you look through all the companies that came public two years ago and are still trading today, 75 of them were biotech firms. Now, most of them, to be blunt, stink. But when you look at the best performers since coming public, six of the top eight are indeed biotechs. The best performers, obviously, Prometheus Biosciences, which isn't covering at this point because it's being acquired by Merck. The second best is too small to mention on air. But let's cover some of these other top biotechs. I got to tell you, I like these very much. Top performing biotechs. Let's start with Ventix. Okay, it's V-E-N-T-Y-X Biosciences. Now, this company is up 133% since it came public. Not bad, huh? Now, it's, again, a development stage biotech company. Doesn't have any real businesses going. That, but that neither to Prometheus. It's focused on coming up with drugs to treat autoimmune and inflammatory disorders. They've got three drug candidates in phase two. Not phase three, but phase two testing, including one that could have a ton of uses. Psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, Crohn's disease. There's another one for ulcerative colitis. We know from talking to Merck and Prometheus on Monday that these are very attractive end markets, that Prometheus has some very exciting trials going. Maybe these, this company does too. Now, Ventus's lead drug candidate is what's known as a, a tyrosine kinase 2 inhibitor. And lately, we've gotten some very good news from other pharma companies that have had success with similar compounds. Bristol-Myers got theirs approved by the FDA last September. And Takeda recently came up with some strong data for their version. Fantastic stock rallied on both stories because Wall Street took the news as validation for their whole style of drugs. Of course, now that they have to prove their product can do as well as these other two treatments, well, that's just a higher bar. How about that? I hate to chase a stock that's up as much as Ventix over the past eight months, but they've got a bunch of potentially positive catalysts coming over the next year and a half. Definitely worth watching. Although if you're desperate to speculate on this one, maybe 
if you get a broad sell-off in the market, and you get a better time to buy it, is what I'm saying. Next is Immunicore. Now, this is a British biotech that used a, a, a big gain today to jump ahead of Ventix. It shares it out 137% since the company came public. These guys are working on immunotherapy, where they basically train your body's immune system to go after certain targets, like cancer, but also some infections and autoimmune conditions. Like Ventix, Immunicore is not a development stage biotech. Their lead drug, Kimtrak, got FDA approval last year for metastatic uveal melanoma. And that is a nasty type of eye cancer. It was approved last January. It racked up $141 million in sales last year, although it's ramping up rapidly as $51 million of that came from the fourth quarter alone. Kimtrak's also being studied for other kinds of melanoma, and they've also got early-stage trials going for other potential cancer treatments. Two different analysts initiated coverage of Immunicore at the end of March, both with buy ratings. One gave it a $70 price target, the other $85. At the time, the stock was in the high 40s, although then it made a quick run to 61 and changed in the past week, in large part because the company presented some very promising data on their key drug at a cancer research conference. Hey, consider me intrigued on this one. I'm going to give you my blessing to own this one. Speculative, but I like it. After that, we've got two more biotechs in the top 10 performers from the IPO class of 2021. We've got Nuvolent, which is up 131%, I'm sorry, 103% since it came public. And then a company called Dice Therapeutics, D-I-C, capitalized. That's up 92%. So, I mean, both of these, and if you see the pattern, we're not early, okay? 133, 137, 93, 92. So I don't want to tell you that we were, we're doing this series. It's not like we're saying we're buying at the bottom here. We're clearly not. These are both early stage uh, drug developers that have positive results from phase one. And that is really early. Phase one clinical trials last year. So this is uh, extremely speculative, both stocks. Nuvalent's focused exclusively on non-small cell lung cancer, unfortunately a very big market, while DICE is focused on autoimmune, here we go again, inflammatory diseases. Both companies also held successful secondary offerings. They just did big stock issuance after their positive clinical trials that came out. So they have some breathing room financially. Still, betting on extremely early stage biotechs is high risk. I don't typically like to endorse anything until we start seeing phase two clinical trial data. However, DICE is working on immunology, and uh, we know that from Big Pharma wants that with this Merck's acquisition of, of Prometheus. Really, though, these two are what I would like to call lottery tickets. They could potentially have huge payouts, but they also might be worthless. And it's way too early to tell which is which. If you want to mess around with these infant biotechs, my recommendation, buy a basket of them. That way you won't get crushed if one of them falls apart. You can put all four of the ones I just mentioned into a biotech basket, although I give much heavier weighting to Immunicore because it's got an actual product on the market. Last but not least, we've got one more healthcare IPO from 2021 that we want to discuss, and it's called Procept Biorobotics, uh, Bio only up 46%. And a medical technology company with a surgical robot system that helps treat lower urinary tract problems caused by prostate issues. The robot does minimally invasive surgery, which is good because that's not a part of the body where you want highly invasive surgery. Procept system got FDA approval back at the end of 2017. Company's been putting up some decent numbers ever since it came public. They should be able to do $125 million in revenue this year. While it's still unprofitable, it's got an attractive growth trajectory, but you can see it's more prosaic 
than any of these others, which is why it's only up 46 percent. Is it, 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 it? Is that enough in this market? Look, Prostep's serving a huge addressable market. For, uh, something like one in four men have these prostate issues by the age of 55. At the same time, the medical technology space has become red hot here. Think about the great numbers we had from InMode and Intuitive Surgical. We featured both those companies and told you we liked them. And of course, Abbott Labs, which we liked forever. And what a quarter they put out this week. I see Procept as a higher risk, higher reward way to play the group. Bottom line, when you comb through the best performers of the IPO class of 2021, you can find some decent biotechs with one genuinely attractive one and also a solid medical tech play. Stick around for the rest of the winners from this doggy dog cohort. I think they'll be worth the wait. Let's take some questions. Let's go to Steve in Illinois. Steve. Hey, Jim. Thanks for being our compass during these wayward times. Uh, you're pretty. You're so nice, Steve. Thank you. How can I help? Uh, my question is about Sigma, symbol CI, pays a dividend of 1.92%. I'd like to get your thoughts and opinions on this. I think Sigma's a good company, but I would uh, tell you I'd rather have you own club name Humana, which reports next week. I think Humana's got a great medical advantage uh, offering and that that's going to make it distinguish it from Sigma. And that's why I like the stock very much. Let's go to Shaw in California. Shaw. Hey, Jim. This is Shaw calling from beautiful Irwin, California. I love, love your early. show. Thanks for sharing valuable insights with all of us. My question is on Pfizer. With their low P.E. ratio and potentially decline in revenue from COVID-19 vaccine is in the horizon. Is this still an investable stock or could this be a right, I, I, look, First of all, I think Dr. Borla is doing a good job. Pfizer yields 4%, but your own drug companies for the yield. I would suggest that you, now Lily reports next week. Maybe, I don't want to recommend Lily right into the report, but I think that one's better. But J&J has the 3% yield. It's got a couple of things going on with talc that are not positive, but that could be settled this year. I prefer J&J to Pfizer. I think it's got much more in the pipe. After going through some of the top performing healthcare IPOs from 2021, there's some genuine winners that I think have slipped through the cracks. Could make for nice additions to the speculative portion of your portfolio. Much more mad money in. We've got some bonus 2021 IPOs that fall into the miscellaneous category that might be worth watching. Then, is the slowdown really something that investors should be worried about? I'm sharing the clues that we've gotten. I think they have to be taken seriously. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. week spent trolling through the few dozen best performing stocks that came public in 2021, let me give you the final winners, the ones that didn't really fit neatly into any of the categories we've covered so far. We're going to start with a company called Ryan Specialty, which provides all sorts of services for the insurance industry. Now, I've recommended this one before. It's been a nice winner. Highlighted in March of last year when the stock was trading at 36, now at 40, uh, better than the broader market. At the moment, it's up more than 70% from where it came public in 2021. Unfortunately, Ryan Specialty seems to run out of gas every time it hits the low to mid-40s, with a series of lower highs since it peaked last August, and that's not a great sign. Plus, the stock's not exactly cheap here, selling for 30 times this year's earnings estimates. Then again, Ryan Specialty had 16% organic revenue growth last year, and they think they can do 10 to 13% this year, along with 15% earnings growth. You could do a lot worse than that, especially as Wall Street's looking for the earnings growth to accelerate over the next couple of years. In the end, Ryan Specialty is a solid name with a differentiated story in an industry that's quietly been doing better of late. Tough to recommend it at 40, 
but you've got my blessing to buy it on the next meaningful pullback. Hey, speaking of insurance, there's one actual insurance company that came public in 2021, and it's seen its stock climb 28% since its IPO, and that's called Enact Holdings. It's a private mortgage insurance uh, provider that was spun off by Genworth Financial back in September 2021. Well, here's what I can tell you about Enact. It's a cheap stock, trading at 7.5 times this year's earnings estimates, but there's a reason it's cheap. Wall Street is convinced that housing is in big trouble after the Fed's rate hikes. Never mind that we keep getting great numbers from home builders. So money managers don't want to touch anything even remotely connected to the industry. And that includes mortgage insurance. Maybe they're right. As an act expected to have a down year in 2023, I don't like that. This one doesn't do much for me. If you want to bet the housing market's more resilient than people expect, well, there are better things to own. In fact... We got a home builder that came public in 2021. It's now up nearly 20% from the IPO price. I'm talking about a company called DreamFinders Homes. That's a Florida-based home builder with operations across the Sun Belt and the Mid-Atlantic. Stock's been a roller coaster, peaking at 36 in the summer of 2021, then plummeting to $8 and change in its lows last year. Since then, it's recovered as people recognize housing's holding up surprisingly well. But even now, it's only back to 15 bucks. Even as many other home builders hit new highs or 52-week highs this very week. Honestly, though, if you want a home builder, I'm less interested in dream finders, and I'm more interested in big established players. You know I like Lennar. Next up, the 28th best performer from the class of 2021 is an Italian materials company called Stefanato with a stock that's up 28% from its IPO price. These guys make glass packaging containers for the pharmaceutical industry. Think files, ampules, auto-injectors, pre-filled syringes, really a medical supply play masquerading as a materials play? Stefanato was a big COVID winner that came back to earth when it's, the pandemic receded. After peaking at $29 and change September of 2021, it came down to 13 and change last May. By November, it was still stuck at around 14, although it's worked back to the mid-20s from there. Now, I think Stefanato is finally getting credit for having a solid business, even without a pandemic bolstering their sales. The company was able to put up healthy 17% revenue growth and earnings growth last year, and they're forecasting low double-digit earnings growth for this year. The one thing that gives me pause here is valuation. The stock trades at something like 45 times this year's earnings estimates. I'd welcome the company on the show if they want to try to explain why their stock's worth the premium multiple. But for now, I don't have a good reason to endorse it. It's just kind of a nosebleed valuation. Finally, considering that it's a Friday night and we all deserve a drink, let me give you a wine play. The Duckhorn Portfolio. That's Napa for all of you home gamers. This wine company just barely made the cut, closing at 15 bucks on the nose tonight, which is exactly where it came public in 2021. The stock was much higher initially. It traded as high as 25 in October 2021 before embarking on a slow, steady decline all the way down to $12 and change at its lows last September. Since then, Napa's been stuck in the mid-teens. I can't pound the table on this one. I'd much rather stick with Constellation Brands, STZ, for booze exposure. But I do think Napa's a decent enough story with steady growth and some scarcity value, as it's the only pure play on wine that I know of. One last thing. 
There's a private equity sponsor involved with Duckhorn, so that could cause the occasional headwinds, like we saw this month when the sponsor sold 6 million shares of NAP in a secondary offering that priced below the market. I don't like that. I think NAP can work over the long run, but it might be a little choppy at times, and maybe you could do better with that. Remember, I think Constellation is terrific. Bottom line, after going over the best-performing IPOs from the class of 2021, the rare winners, some of these things are genuinely attractive. If you liked any of them, any of the ones we profiled this week, I'm begging you, please do some research on your own and think about whether they might fit into your portfolio. I don't want you to just take my word for it. A lot of speculative stocks that I just went over. Bad Money is back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round, next. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! Quick, everybody, that's for calls. Round for everybody, same name, stock, tell you, bye-bye, 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 and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the lightning round. Crazy everybody, let's start with Brandon in New Jersey. Brandon. A great big Belmar booyah, Mr. Kramer. Thanks Fit. for taking my call. Thanks for Fantastic. all you do. Thank you. I'm calling about the only REIT that I have in my portfolio, and I'm wondering if I'm taking too much of a gamble with it. I'm asking about VICI. That's not a gamble at all. That is one of the best run REITs there is. Every acquisition they made I think is terrific. That's why I put them on the show all the time. Good, good, good way to start the lighting round. How about we go to David in Virginia? David. A United States Navy booyah, Jimbo. Indeed. Me, What's happening? What's happening? Confessions of a Wall Street taver, more bad money author, Eagles fan. Tell me about Ford. All right, so Ford, we own for the Chapel Trust. I know it's under a lot of pressure. We did sell some very high. Uh, I'm looking to buy some more. If it does go below 10, I hope it doesn't. I think Jim Farley has said he's going to deliver this quarter. I believe him, despite the fact that Elon Musk is definitely after him to try to be like Henry Ford was to the industry back then. Let's go to Trey in Texas. Trey. Jim, these days before I execute any trade, I ask myself, WWJD. What would Jim do? And in the oh, case of the trade desk, I think it's InSync's iconic 2,000 hits. Bye, bye, bye. Talk to look, look, Jeff Green is a genius. He's up against uh, Alphabet. They're very, very good at what they do, but so is he. I think the market can handle both of them. The stock has been disappointing of late, but I think I'm not of late. This year has been terrific, but I think it continues to go higher. Uh, I've got to tell you, though, again, remember, they're up against Alphabet, and Alphabet's a fearsome competitor. Let's go to Tad in North Carolina. Tad. Hi, Jim. I hope you're having a great day. It's a terrific day. How about you? That's great. First of all, I want to thank you for the advice you gave me back in January concerning Transmedics. You have made me a happy camper. Uh, thank you uh, very much. Thank you. Secondly, I wanted to get your thoughts as we head into er- next week's earnings concerning Cloudflare. Okay, Matthew Prince has delivered, 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 but it's been a very harsh, mark, uh, harsh market for these kinds of high multiple stocks. I think it's become more forgiving, and I am going to give you my blessing to buy the stock of Cloudflare. I'm betting that Matthew Prince will not disappoint. How about we go to Michael in Texas? Michael. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Michael. First time caller, long time listener. Hey, Jim, I'd just like to say thank you for all you do for us retail investors. I thank appreciate you. your insight. Thank you. I'm uh, doing so this for you. Thank you. Thank you. I know you've been covering uh, 2021 IPOs this week, so I'd like to ask about a stock that IPO in late 2020. Since IPO, this stock is up over 420%, currently trading under nine times next year's earnings, and it has a small dividend that I believe will increase as the company continues to grow. I'm interested to hear your opinion on Academy of Sports and Outdoors. ASO. ASO. 
look, it is inexpensive. I wanted to believe in the big portfolio. I was worried about uh, some aspects of hunting, uh, but I think it's a good company. Uh, they do a good job. And I think that you're still, even at these prices, you're still free to buy it. I want to go to uh, Arthur, New Jersey. Arthur. Booyah, Jim. Arthur's fired up. Arthur from New Jersey just want to know, what do you know, what do you say about MicroStrategy led by the late and great George Washington of Bitcoin, Michael Saylor, short term. I know recently. I think it's just if you want to own Bitcoin, you should own Bitcoin, not MicroStrategy. I've been through the the wars, the dot-com wars. I started the street.com. I was watching Michael then. Michael's a creative guy, but I think it's a play on Bitcoin, so just own Bitcoin. I'm not recommending Bitcoin right here. Let's go to uh, Giacomo in Michigan. Giacomo. Hey, I'm Jim. Uh, yeah, you know, my, you pronounce it right, Giacomo, G-I-A. Well, my daughter went to Tulane. I got that kind of, you know, that Cajun thing. What's up? Yeah, if you, and if you were born in Italy, that's what will be your name, because that's what it is, Jim. It's Giacomo. Anyway, uh, Jim, I love your show. I wanted to ask you about a company, an auto company called Salantis, which is... And, you know, it's a merger between Chrysler, Fiat, and Peugeot. It's a merger between companies that are doing incredibly well. And I think it's still a buy right here. It's inexpensive, and I like it. I think you should buy it, or own it at least. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, can hawks migrate south? Why, it looks like some of the Fed's most hawkish birds are softening on rates. Next. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. The slowdown is out there. But it's very difficult to see and very, very uneven. Even the most hawkish members of the Federal Reserve, people like Loretta Metzger, she's the president and CEO of the Cleveland Fed, they're starting to sound nervous. You know what? I think they should be. Mester has gravitated from being the most aggressive proponent of ruthlessly raising interest rates to someone who almost sounds like she's in the one-and-done camp. One last 25 basis point Fed rate hike, and then time to call it a day, at least to be sure there's no lasting damage being done. Why the change of heart? Well, she's the head of the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland, which means I presume she's in touch with local banks in her region. Banks like Huntington and Columbus or Fifth Third and Cincinnati Key Bank right down the block in Cleveland. And if you listen to what they have to say, it, I, I think... It's pretty disconcerting. These perfectly good conservative regional banks are faring the worst in the wake of the Silicon Valley bank collapse. They've been thriving with the looser regulation that was established during the Trump administration. They don't know what the impact will be now that people suddenly are a lot more picky about where they put their deposits. And new regulations might be drafted that are owners. But we know the regionals will be more cautious with their lending going forward. They've been really jarred here. We got some real weakness in commercial real estate developers, too. Now, somebody like uh, S.L. Green, they just reported yesterday, they seem alternately oblivious and combative about the state of office real estate. I'm certainly hearing that we need to be worried about defaults. Uh, They will occur when leases are up, clients can't pay. I know many people think the problem with commercial real estate is isolated to New York and San Francisco. That's wrong. 
The, the problem is anywhere you have a situation where people don't need to come into the office, and that has driven occupancy rates down, which will eventually lead to soaring vacancy rates and defaults. By the way, many of the commercial real estate loans are actually held by life insurance companies, not banks, or part of long-ago bond offerings. You won't see these. That's part of the problem, but they're lurking for certain. They can precipitate a slowdown. Yes, that's how big that commercial real estate market is. We should be most worried about buildings that are considered B or C class. They're losing tenants and they can't easily be converted into apartments. Contrary to public opinion, it just costs too much to convert many of these buildings into apartments and they're going to have to be torn down. And I don't think people are putting enough thought into what that process might mean to whole cities. It's not just real estate and regional banks that might be producing a subtle slowdown. We're about to see a couple million students graduate from college. A year ago, they would have had the pick of the litter job-wise. Not now. I'm getting a read that white-collar hires are going to slow dramatically. Now, it's very hard to measure a no-hire, but the pool of available talent will become far bigger, and the price those people will have to be paid may come down substantially. (sighs) Wage inflation. Maybe it will finally cool down. We know from this earnings season that there are frays all around the edges of the economy. American Express took a big charge this week. Even it still says travel and leisure are very strong. Union Pacific and CSX reported weaker lines of traffic than I expected. Lyft, the ride-sharing company, just announced plans to lay off 1,200 people. The big tech companies continue to trim their workforce, and the large consulting companies seem to be in fire mode. Taken alone, none of these would matter particularly. But taken together, they're telling me the economy is starting to slow which means the Fed needs to make a decision. They can slow the economy to a crawl in order to stamp out inflation, but they might not need to go that far, given that it's already slowing without any additional intervention. One and done, that's the way to go. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer.